Welcome to Writers Talking, the podcast where we take writers and readers behind the scenes, sharing the stories within the stories. No scripts, no filters, and no holds barred as we talk about what really happens for writers as they write, edit, publish, and promote their work. Hi, I'm Anjanette Fennell, agent, editor, and writerly mentor who's worked with hundreds of writers to break through their creative challenges to uncover the stories they feel compelled to share. Now, let's get talking. Emma Gray is a novelist, feature writer, photographer, professional speaker, and accountability coach. She's been writing fiction since she first fell for Anne of Green Gables at 14 and is the author of the YA novels Unrequited and Tilly Maguire in the Royal Wedding Mess, as well as I Don't Have Time, co-authored with Audrey Thomas, and the parenting memoir Wits End Before Breakfast, Confessions of a Working Mum. She wrote her first adult novel, The Last Love Note, in the wake of her husband's death. It's a fictional tribute to their love, an attempt to articulate the magnitude of her loss, and a life-affirming commitment to hope. Emma lives just outside Canberra, where her world centers on her two adult daughters, young son, loved stepchildren and step-grandchildren, writing, photography, and endlessly chasing the Aurora Australis. Nina D. Campbell is passionate about words and women's stories. She studied theater and literature at university, where she's held the position of women's officer alongside notable South Australian feminists Natasha Stott Despoja and Annabelle Crabb. As a professional writer for the Australian government, Nina wrote ministerial speeches, briefings, policy papers, and communications materials before a midlife health challenge reminded her that life was for living, not just earning a living. Having left the paid workforce, Nina now writes fiction full-time. Together with her partner Bruce and their spirited Jack Russell Terrier Molly, she lives nestled between a world-class wine region and the sparkling sea in South Australia. Nina's debut novel, Daughters of Eve, is described as an unputdownable feminist revenge thriller. It was included in the Sydney Morning Herald's list of books to look out for in 2022, and Marie Claire's top 10 reads upon its release. Rachel S. Morgan is an award-winning fiction writer, screenwriter, and emerging television showrunner. A former entertainment journalist and recipient of the Josephine Ulrich Literature Prize, her previous film and television credits include Wanted, Mako Mermaids, and The Bachelor. Rachel writes a lot of things, but has a particular penchant for drama that makes you laugh, comedy that stabs you in the feels, stuff that is high camp and scary AF, and historical fiction. If there's magic, pop stars, or vampires in the mix, all the better. She's soon to release the first book in a brand new rom-com mystery series through Daring Press and is currently developing a diverse film and television slate that includes her new dark comedy TV show, Disgraceful. Disgraceful is also her current novel work in progress because she doesn't think she has enough things on her plate. Rachel likes yoga, tattoos, and cheese, but not in that order. Mostly, the cheese comes first. Welcome, everyone. As I'm sure everyone knows, (laughs) there's talking that happens before the record button starts. And we were just getting into something juicy. I'll say to everyone listening, this is what happens with writers and why we're doing this podcast, because some of the most incredible conversations come up. We're going to just dive in. But one of the topics we were just getting into is you've got a book coming out (laughs) and it's fiction but it's going to have pieces of it that relate to you. And then you're going to have to go on the promo trail. Emma, what 
were you sharing about? You just started to think about, oh, this is coming up. It's going to be released in January. It's not me. It's not a memoir, but. But I know the publicists are keen for me to talk about what inspired the book. And that was the loss of my husband. And that was six years ago. And it's something that I've talked about a lot over the years. I've done a lot of media. I've been a spokesperson for the Victor Chang Institute. I've done a lot of radio interviews about heart disease and about grief. I've written a lot of nonfiction sort of articles about grief and loss. And I've always been comfortable doing that. And I still am. But I just had this moment the other day where I thought, oh, I'm going to have to do that again because I haven't done it for a while. I probably haven't done it for a year. And I had the crazy thought that I can't remember what happened in my own life. And and I'm sure that's not true. But it was just this moment of I think I've probably done a lot of healing and I've put it away, a lot of it. And so then there was this, oh, I'm going to have to dredge all that up again and talk through that again. Mm. And then I just sort of reminded myself that every time I've done that it has been part of the healing and talking about it out loud to an interviewer with the idea that you will engage with listeners or readers is actually part of the healing that I've had so I was able to talk myself back into being okay but it was just this moment of oh I feel very exposed suddenly and it came after the day you know straight after I'd said I'm happy to talk about this when I was chatting with the publicist. So <laughs> I think I'm happy to talk about this and then, oh, but I think it'll be fine. But it is it is a thing. And, and what was helpful in what we were just saying before we clicked the record button was that you don't have to share every single aspect of your life. You can choose, you know, which pieces you're comfortable to, to share. And over the last six years, that's changed for me. And, and I do think at different times about what I'm comfortable talking about and what I'd rather not because, you know, there's trauma involved in what we went through. And so, yes, it's all, it's just something I think that you've got to be prepared for and then also be considering how am I going to look after myself when this is happening? What can I, you know, and, and being able to sort of stand up and take control of your own narrative when things are veering into a territory that you're not comfortable talking about because it's too painful or, or whatever it is. Um, and that's where you all come in, really. It's mm-hmm. it's having this group of, of friends and fellow writers who really get it and really have always been supportive and caring of each other. Mm. Nina, how did you go? I mean, yours would be different, obviously, but I know that there would would have been times where you were talking about certain things. You even had revelations while you were sharing about your work and somebody asked a question and then you're like, what? Oh, I didn't yeah, know I've that's actually, what I was writing. I've actually burst into tears, but that was luckily just in a, a very small and discreet <laughs> uh, gathering. But mostly, yeah, when I realized that the book, the central character in the book was so heavily based on my mum, it was quite a revelation. And it was in the middle of my first uh, major video podcast with Victoria from uh, Crime Club in QBD Crime Club. And I I suddenly had this sort of awareness on screen where I went, oh, my God, actually, you know, I think this is my mum. And she, you know, died when I was 30. And I I sort of think maybe this is actually now I think about it a bit of a love letter to her. And I was talking about her, about what was amazing about my mum, which was that she was this really gutsy, um, strong, indomitable woman who 
really stood by the vulnerable and weak in our community. So, you know, I was hanging out with trans people when I was 10 in the 1970s. I knew gay people. My world was very broad. I knew people who were homeless. You know, they would come and stay at our house. There was, it was just a very different way to grow up. And she was just such an inspiring human being in that way. But it it was this moment of absolute panic as I realized, oh my God, I just said that. And I'm, I'm currently being recorded, and, you know, and this is going to go out. And I don't know how many people watch this, this podcast. So all that stuff sort of spinning in your head at, at breakneck speed as you realize, you know, what am I going to, what am I saying? Should I say that? Is that bad? Have I just done something wrong? Um, like, yeah. And you feel kind of suddenly very naked, but I was also even the topic of the book. I mean, being about sexual assault and domestic violence and things like that. I've been really surprised that not one single person has asked me if I have a personal experience of it. I really thought that was going to be the main question that I was going to have to combat about whether I wanted to talk about any history I might have of sexual assault. And I was thinking... Oh, I don't really know if I want to answer those questions. Is that like is that a so far so good? Because you've and this is me and my little woo-woo ways. Now you've put that out there explicitly. <laughs> I will not be surprised if, <laughs> if it you get, if somebody says that. Honestly, it's really interesting. How would you handle that? Not just you, but for each of you, if somebody asked something to your point M, if somebody asks you something, what are you going to do? Are you going to try to have a deflection question? My experience of each of you is that you're just very real and present and, you know, here you are. But I think that people on the journey to writing, I'll be real. This is one of the things they're worried about. Even if they're great at public speaking, Mm -hmm. there's a vulnerability right? To being interviewed. And how do you balance the, what we want to be is what we want to see, which is that vulnerable and real. That's what attracts me to authors. How do you think you would handle it? How would you like to handle it? I mean, even Rach, you have written some amazing stuff and more and more people will be reading it soon, but it makes me think, and especially a project I know that you're working on now, very close emotionally, at least to what you've experienced, how do writers handle it when you're out there? I think, I think, I mean, I think it's just about being prepared and and thinking about what people might ask you about and whether you want to be open and honest about it. I mean, I was listening to, to Em and Nina, what they were saying before, and I love how we're all, we're so much the same, but so different at the at the same time. And I was thinking about Disgraceful, the project that I'm working on at the moment. And there is, there's so much of it that's based on reality. And there's so much of myself that I'm putting into it, even though the character, the main character is not me and is quite different. And her situation is she's, she's going completely off the rails, so to speak. And she says she's having lots of sex and she's doing drugs and she's doing, she's, she's doing a lot of crazy things she's never had the chance to do. So I, my brain is thinking I'm anticipating people assuming if they know, if, if I'm vocal about it being based on personal experience, people making assumptions about the things that I've done or um, choices that I've made and some of them are me some of them are stories from other people so it's not even so much about feeling like I'm talking about something that's painful there's a sense of you that wonders if you're going to be judged 
by people. And I think, Em, you've touched on this before when talking about, you know, having lost Jeff and and, and moving on and, and things like that where people make assumptions or they make judgments on how quickly things happen or how slowly. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure, sure someone will ask me some kind of confronting question. <laughs> I'll just, I don't know. I'm, um, I'm not very good at making good decisions on the fly, so I'll probably be completely honest and just put my foot in it. <laughs> But that's it. That was that was the question. I love that. So, and do you think you're going to prep yourself for? Yeah, to, to some like, extent, I will. Yeah, I, I, what Rach is alluding to there is that I am already fearing judgment of my character's decisions, which um, because she's she has it's it's partly a book about her her love with her husband and partly a book about falling in love the next time and assuming that that's based on me. And so much of the book, the funny stories in the book are from my real life, but I am single and I'm I'm already feeling judged in advance for my character having moved on because I know there is judgment and I've spoken to enough widows and I've you know I'm just in that world I see so much of that and so I've tried to actually deal with that in the book itself in um, in her own doubt but and as far as being asked questions that are uncomfortable I can only think of one interview I've done where I feel like they pushed me a bit hard I felt really too exposed after the interview and I do share a, a lot of real stuff all the time but this really I can't even remember the details, but it was something like, you know, it was really trying to push me to go right back to that very day that that Jeff had died and get into details that I just didn't want to do. And now, now I've gone through that experience of that interview, I think in future, I will just be very clear with myself going in that here's where it stops. And I'm, you know, willing to be really open up to this point, mm. but beyond that, that's private. And, and that's to, that's for him more than anything mm. and for our son. So, so I think if, if it came up in an interview and somebody started to get pushy about wanting further details and I was prepared to give, um, I think I would just say so now I would just stop them. And Mm. I feel strong enough now as a person that maybe 20 years ago, I wouldn't have, (laughs) I just would have been steamrolled but um I think you don't have to say anything that you that is you know too private you just don't have to um and so you could you could try to deflect the, the conversation into another direction and if it doesn't work and they keep coming back then you just say I'm not prepared to answer that you know, yeah, that's fair. What can I do? Physically drag it out of you? Like, yeah, you know, it, so it made me think of celebrities, and I think mm. you put something forward just now that really it's sort of like going to a hairdresser. And this is everybody's different, right? As, as you said, right? And I feel like sometimes, maybe especially as women, I don't know, maybe some men as well. But you're like, oh, they're the expert or whatever, and I'm paying, and you don't say anything. I've had horrific haircuts, not a ton let it go now, but it makes, it makes me think of celebrities where they prep the interviewer beforehand. I'll go here, but I'm not going to say this. And then to your point, um, just having a internal compass, like this is where I'll stop. And this Mm -mm. is the sentence I'll say, if Mm. they ask something and giving yourself the space to say, if I'm feeling comfortable, you know, mm-hmm. like you'll get to measure it in the moment. Mm-hmm. If I'm feeling comfortable, I might say this, but you can just have that hard line. And I think that's so mm-hmm. valid and valuable. I mean, your, your topic as well, Nina, mm-hmm. can you tell us without actually even answering the question, which <laughs> I think is great. How would you, if somebody asked you something that was on a topic, or maybe you don't want to talk about who such and such a character is related to or whatever how do you think you'd handle that um I've had I've had a 
couple of experiences. So in one library chat that I was at, somebody just straight out asked me how many copies of the book had sold. And I was quite shocked because no one's ever like, you know, this is the, this is secret squirrel stuff. We don't even talk to ourselves about this sort of stuff most <laughs> of the time. Like, you know, it's just, it's kind of one of those every writer knows it's a very sensitive sort of space. And unless you're over, you know, if you cross one of those great thresholds and you might really celebrate it, but um, but no one talks about how many actual books they've sold. And I remember I was just sort of sitting there going, I really don't want to answer this question, but I'm not really sure how to divert it without looking like some really squirrely kind of, because it was such a direct question. And so I just said it. And and then I felt the same as you did, Emma. I just felt like, well, that's awful. I didn't want to say that because mm. there could be people who've sold more or less books in the audience if they've got a book out or, you know, have I just put some kind of um, benchmark up there that it's just a number. It doesn't matter. Mm. Like What matters is every individual reader and their experience of the book, like that's what actually touches touches authors what really excites us is when we get emails from people that say I loved your book Mm. so it was a really strange and I remember and I think I said something like that at the end I said but you know that's just a number and every one of those sales could have gone and lent to two or three people could have been given to a secondhand shop afterwards and you know like Mm. to me I'm much more interested in how people respond to the book than I am to how many copies there are out in the world so that was my experience of what it feels like to come right up to that thing and as, as you did, Emma, sort of like jump into it and say more than I actually felt like I wanted to say. And it was a real wake-up call for me and made me realise that I needed to have some clarity around what I am and am not comfortable talking about. The way that I approach the particular question about sexual assault is that I talk about the fact that one in three women over the age of 15 have had some experience of sexual assault. So in this room, a certain number of us have. Yeah. And you know, it's an mm. absolute given. And I don't think, and the, one of the main reasons I wrote the book was that I want people to be able to have conversations about sexual assault, domestic violence, child abuse that do not involve them bleeding publicly, that oh, do not involve them yeah. taking their heart out and, and yeah. handing it to somebody else and saying, oh, will you treat this kindly? So that is actually one of the major, so, you know, when Me Too happened and all my friends were online talking about the sort of things that have happened to them, and some of them were just saying hashtag Me Too, but a lot of people were actually talking about the events that had happened to them. And I remember thinking, you shouldn't have to do that. Like, mm. we shouldn't have to actually confess right. to the shame of the things which are not our shame, that, you know, that do not mm. belong to us, the actions that other people took. And so for me, I think the arts need to step up and start talking about those kinds of really rough issues. And that's the sort of way that I talk about it. I say, you know, every time I've seen Grace Tame speak, I've heard on TV and radio, Rosie Batty speak, they re-traumatise themselves every time they revisit those, yeah. those issues. And it makes me uncomfortable that we expect trauma victims to re-traumatise themselves to have permission to talk about um, a topic which it's pretty black and white. Like I don't think anybody here is standing up and saying, oh, no, I think sexual assault's a good thing. Um, so that's, it, that's pretty much it, how I come at it. It looks, to, and that feel to me is very much like the question about how many books you've sold, which is quantify mm. it. You can't just say me too, prove it, show me. I just, Where are your scars? How yeah, do you, mm. you know what's interesting? I And I don't usually, but I came up with a response you can have. So put this in your pocket, everyone who's a writer. Yep. Ask them a question back. Say, mm. that's interesting. Why do you ask? Like, I would have liked to, and I say this, and then <laughs> the challenge, <laughs> I would be practicing in my bedroom beforehand. 
But that's interesting. Why do you ask? Whether you're asking that person who asks a question out in the, the audience that it feels inappropriate, but again, it's based on you and how you feel, mm. putting it back on them to respond. And then you can get whatever their response is because you don't want to talk about it. You could say, hmm, I don't, I don't see it that way. And then you go on to the other thing, right? Mm. So it really puts it's, it's, the pressure back on them. And same with an yeah. interviewer saying, and again, you'll get a feel when you are being interviewed by somebody, whether they're coming from a place of genuine interest and concern. I've heard good interviewers say they're very curious and they're open-hearted and they say, oh, I have this question. And then they say, but you don't have to answer that at all. I mean, if you're not comfortable saying you don't have to say at all, which is very much a female thing. And it's a female <laughs> interviewer. <laughs> see, see the, the thing is what it's, and I think both of you, Nina and Emma touched on this before. We don't just have to think about whether we're comfortable talking about something. We're also trying to think about how our answer is going to affect the people who are listening. Yeah. So whether that's mm-hmm. the people who, you know, were uh, affected by the number of books you said you'd sold or whether you're talking about sexual assaults or you were saying before, Emma, you have to think about, about your son, you know, and, and, and yes. what you're saying. And, and I think with the stories I'm telling as well, there's stuff about the breakdown of a marriage. There's stuff about generational trauma, about my family, about, um, you know, I, I, coming from a working class background, having, having married up essentially. So there's certain opinions that you talk about or your character mm-hmm. goes through and you, you talk about, and you don't want the people in your life to assume that, that's your opinion of them or that's what you're saying yes. about them. So the stories, you, you have to remember mm. that as well. So I think you have to be mindful of what you're answering. I think that's I think it's not about self, point. censorship. It's not about yeah. censorship. It's no. just about being kind, I, I suppose. Mm. Mm. And some of our topics, all of our topics, are um, potentially going to trigger the people listening too. So I think then it's about how we express things. I mean, mm. uh, but one thing too that I think I've found I'm finding really good is is that in preparation for this publicity cycle, I'm spending a lot of time speaking to the publicist at the publisher and she's specifically asking if I'm okay talking about certain topics. Mm. Like for example, there is in in a in this book a storyline about dementia and and that that knowledge has come from my mum having dementia. And she asked me if I'm okay talking about that in interviews. And I then asked my father if he was okay with me talking Mm. about that. Because a few years ago, you know, when mum was still aware enough, we would have had to say no, because he didn't even sort of let mum know she had dementia and was very, very protective of mum and still is. But she's now at the point where she won't be able to read anything or hear, listen to anything, wouldn't understand who I was talking about her, you know. So it's now a topic that I can sensitively discuss. Um, and what I really appreciate is the fact that the pub- publicist was, you know, sat, sat me down and said, are you comfortable talking about this? So that when she pitches things to various interviewers, she'll either leave that out or put it in as the case may be. So you can work together with a publicist or a preparation for that publicity cycle and sort of try and get a bit of control at that point too. Yeah. It certainly is something if you are prepared to go into that realm that gives you definitive advantage. I know one of the books that I've really enjoyed that is a crime novel that came out at the same in the same cycle as me. And our books actually sit really close together on the shelf. We call ourselves shelf buddies. (laughs) because we're often butt up against each other on the shelf in the crime fiction world. And that book is drawn heavily on her time in Northern Ireland 
during the troubles as a youth counsellor. And so she's kind of taken that seed and created a book called The Good Mother, which is about a woman who, you know, how far would you go to protect children? And getting drawn back into the troubles as a as an adult and the sort of leftover vestiges of what's still the undercurrent of politics in Northern Ireland. And so I, I found it really interesting watching the amount of press that she got because they were able to use that as a hook, you know, that and it's journalists are looking for that ability to find a personal story that they can unpack as well as just talking about a book. Yeah. So yeah, I think where you can and where you are comfortable if you have a personal story to share, I think it definitely increases the reach of your promotions. Mm. Well, I'm happy, to tell, I'm happy to tell journalists all about it. Yeah. All <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it, you bring up a really good point and I love hearing that the publicist you're working with as well um, is already sensitive to this. Clearly, she's been through the process a bunch. So for any writers thinking about it, again, knowing you're empowered to make the decision, these are the things I'm willing to go into. This is the hook that I'm going to use. You probably have done it in some form or another before your book was acquired and or published, even if it was self-published and choosing those things, knowing these are the things I'm comfortable with. And I'll go deep with to this level. And there will be different themes. That's, mm. So that's another writerly thing that people talk about a lot. There's the main theme. And then there are all of these other little bits. And giving yourself permission to lean back into the ones that you're comfortable sharing. And just being mindful of it beforehand. I love bringing that back to what you'd said early on, Emma, as well. Which is setting things up for yourself to have the self-care throughout. Even mm. if we assume, like Nina before the QBD book club or whatever that was called now, I can't remember. Um, but I watched that interview. It was great. You wouldn't have been prepared for any particular response because it came up in the moment and it was totally you being present and natural. And that was amazing. But knowing you're going to have an interview setting something up for yourself. What a worst case scenario, you have a great time. You're not triggered at all. Everything's great. And you do some self-care after whatever that looks like. Even if it looks like renting, debriefing, getting a massage, retail therapy, like a million different things, right? So that you are, and I like to sandwich it, doing that in addition to what you are already thinking about and in preparation, which is what do I want to talk about? Checking in with family and friends, because let me remind everyone, Emma's book is fiction and she's still checking these things. There's that thing, write what you know. And I, I think I did a post about it in one way or the other recently. What I mean when I say write what you know, is you're going to write what you know, emotionally. That's the most important thing. I, to varying degrees, like the escapist, and fantasy and or sci-fi again to varying degrees or not so much. But knowing, hey, I've never lived on another planet. I've never lived in the future. All of those things are true, except what we're looking for in stories are universal themes. They will be things you identify with as a writer. And that's what we want mm -hmm. as readers as well. Having that expectation that things are going to potentially come up for you. If you have not sort of examined those for yourself, this is a real good time to do it because you want to prep <laughs> yeah. yourself, right? If you haven't, do it. I think the I think another really important side of all of this discussion is to not spook yourself because the last thing we would want anyone to do would be get so worried about what might one day come up in an interview that they don't write the book. They don't write 
right about it. Mm. Yeah. Or that, you know, they tone it down in advance of potential mm-hmm. questions. I think it's just really, really important to remember the whole thing happens in stages. I mean, I've got sort of a, the last big edit coming up next week, the book coming back to me. And I'm kind of thinking, right, this is my last opportunity to really make sure I'm comfortable with everything that's in here and we'll probably go the other way and ramp it up but you know (laughs) theoretically if I suddenly went oh actually no that makes me feel really uncomfortable now I'm actually thinking about publicity then I would have an opportunity and there are those opportunities as you go through and so I, I, I think think about all of this now and then set it all aside and just write because it's, you know, we just don't want to get to spook ourselves, I think, yeah. at this point well, it's, in time. It's that, self, that self-censorship thing, isn't it? And I know I've had conversations with you in our in our chat um, as I've been writing the beginnings of Disgraceful and, you know, what I want to put in and what I don't and whether I really want to say that or whether it's too much, whether it's too over the top, mm. whether it's too dirty, whether it's too this. And and you all said to me, you just, you get it out. You just, it, it, it is what it is. Make those decisions later. So, yeah. yes. I agree. And I think that's one of the things that I would say as well is even though we've all talked here about, you know, our concerns about being asked things and, you know, the odd times when people ask things that do put you in that sort of discomfort. Like it's interesting that the the discomfort that I experienced was this completely random left field question. (laughs) But what I've found really amazing about going out and talking to readers at libraries, going out and talking to journalists is just how supportive and caring most people 99% of people are even the person who asked that question had no idea about the impact that that would have Mm -hmm. and what that unpacked inside me I think people come to talk to writers for a different reason than they come to talk for celebrities they feel a sense of ownership over celebrity but I think they feel a sense of kinship with readers because we were the people who created a world and then we asked them to come in and reinterpret Mm. that world themselves so we've kind of made this really safe and sacred space between us and the reader and so it's a very different dynamic to when you make a character that people fall in love with Mm. and you embody that character on a screen or on a stage it's a very different dynamic and I find it a real sense of kinship and closeness and people are so loving and caring of writers in my experience Um, and so I actually am tempted to become more open and yeah. And sharing mm. because I find that really we go into the dark places and we shine a light in them and, and they come in with us. So there well, is I, a I, real deep bond. Yeah. I, I was going to say, we have to remember or we have to go with our gut. There's something in our heart that's telling us this is the story we're supposed to tell. Mm. There's something driving us to tell that story. So to then pull back on that when our gut or our mm. heart is telling us to tell that story yes. is, is really kind of counterintuitive, I, I, I guess, with the project I'm working on at the moment one of the reasons I want it to be so no holds barred is because there are these stories we don't see out there that aren't getting told because they do get censored because they do get hidden and, and not spoken about and oh that's too too rude or too confronting or too this um so that's the whole point of doing this but then I'm mm. circling back and kind of going oh I'm a bit scared is it too much but yeah I, I guess we have to remember what's driving us to tell the story in the first place and just just go with it and yeah, like it's very similar for me Oh, sorry, I was, I was just going to say it's very similar for me but around grief, which is a taboo as well. Mm. In fact, we're all writing about topics that are taboo and and it, it is certainly a huge driver for me is getting out into the public another way, another thing that might stimulate more conversations between people that have been through it and people that are scared of it and people who really don't just, just 
don't have angst experience of it and would like to mm. imagine it and figure out, you know, meet people who know what it's like. So I think you're right, absolutely, that there are so many untold stories and half telling it because we're scared of how we might be perceived or criticised is a real danger. I think that's the biggest challenge, having worked with all of you, having worked with other writers in process, that's the biggest thing. You can always pull back, but you need to follow your heart like you're doing, Rach, with this no holds barred. And I always encourage people, especially if you get this red flag while you're writing, like that's too much. I would always say go further. Like a black Even ball. if you don't just want to, red flag. <laughs> go further. Go until you can't go, until you're mm. going from I'm sharing a an emotional truth or even experiential truth until you're past it and you're like now I'm just making shiz up because you can you can pull it back mm. but the danger to your point would be what do you want to put something out there that doesn't really affect people or yeah. to your point Nina what you're saying we're you're doing as writers what we all love as readers which is getting to feel that aha or just even a really subtle feel of oh, I'm not the only one that's why we become friends with the characters, isn't it? Because we think, you know, on both ends, there might be characters who do the thing you always thought you wanted to do. That's why we love an alter ego. I know of a character you have, uh, Rach, that I remember reading it, finding it so fun and saying that she's such the alter ego. She says the thing you, and she's not the protagonist. Mm -hmm. And it was great. That's what we're searching for. Connection validation. And if you're too afraid as the one creating it to do it, you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. So start there, start with the words, don't hold back. In fact, go too far, <laughs> go too far. And then like you're doing, Anne, and I think it's beautiful. This is one of the gifts of multiple edits, especially for those who think they don't like editing. It's a beautiful gift because at every stage, you then get to look at it again just reassess for yourself. And like you were saying, Nina, how beautiful is it if you get to the place where you think, no, I want to go more. I want to be more open um, because we all need to tiptoe toward that edge sometimes, right? That's natural. Mm -hmm. I love it. I was going to ask for today's. So maybe we'll do it just in a little container based on the story that you are looking at right now. Either you have already started promotion, you're going to do promotion, and you're thinking about once published, I'm going to do promotion. What stories, related or not, what books did you read that you think have impacted what you decided to write? I, I think the most recent I can think of that have shown me how impactful a book can be in making you brave enough to break yourself open would be Wild by Cheryl Strayed. Eat, Pray, Love changed my life. I know people either love it or loathe it, but that completely skewed my life off in another direction a few years ago. And I'm currently actually re reading The Writer Laid Bare by Lee Kaufman. So it's kind of a memoir. It's, it's a book on writing craft and it's literally about, yeah, peeling all of the layers back and emotional authenticity. So I'm re reading that at the moment. But Wild by Cheryl Stray, just the, I mean, most people would be familiar with that, either from the book or from the movie Reese with a Spoon did. But the, the flashbacks of just how much of a mess she'd made of her life and then just going on, on that, that huge hike and just putting herself in, in such danger and just there was something so raw about that and so brave. Yeah, that's that would be one of my favourites, I think. Mm. I love that. Have you got anything? I guess for me, it's more from the romantic comedy side of writing. And so 
you know, I love all those all those modern rom- rom-coms and Mari McFarlane is one of my favourite, but very much all came from Anne of Green Gables. I think this entire career came from Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> <laughs> that was when I first fell in love with romance and with writing because she was a writer. So I guess I would always hark back to her. I do remember reading a book three weeks after Jeff died and I couldn't put it down. I wish I could remember the name of it now, but I just on the tip of my tongue. But it was actually the story of a, a widow. It was a true story of a widow, but it was kind of written as if it was a novel. And she, it was five years on. And I mm. clung to that book. I, I just read that book as as hope <laughs> that I will survive because at that point I didn't know if I was going to survive the month, let alone five years, you know. Mm. So partly I think reading that has made me realise that when we write something like this, we can potentially give that kind of hope to other people as well. The person who, who has just had their life upturned unexpectedly and wonders if they're ever going to be able to build a new future. So be able to be able to give that kind of story into the world, I think, is probably what's driven me to write this one. I love it. Nina, you think so? I've been thinking hard because my dyslexia stopped me reading for very much for quite a long time until I got my glasses. So I don't have such a strong, long history of reading but when I once I got my glasses just delved into it and I read very broadly and all sorts of things but I remember reading The Women's Room by Marilyn French which was Mm. a book about women's empowerment that transition in the 60s where women first started saying I can have a life outside the home I want that life and the pushback that they felt from men in their lives saying no and so as a, a woman in the 80s where there wasn't as much constraint on my choices, but there was still a lot of hidden constraints. So there were different pressures that were brought to bear, I think, to keep us contained as a gender. And that book kind of laid them bare and said, this is where they began. This was how that that tension first came about. And I think I leaned heavily into that experience of wanting to do something like that around, you know, we're all saying all the right things around domestic violence, around gendered violence, but we actually need to look deeper and to recognise that it doesn't matter what we say, our legal system and our and our world is not actually supporting women being genuinely equal and in the eyes of the law being genuinely equal in their ability to be safe. And so I think that probably is a huge part of it. But I also have to say that I read quite a lot of crime and when asked in um, library talks what research I did into the police and things like that, I have to say... It was pretty much all crime novels. So <laughs> thank you to all who went before for all the research that hopefully you did because I'm really leaning heavily on you. Yeah, that's great. One thing I just noticed, and was that for the women's room, was that nonfiction? No, it was okay. a fictionalization of, okay. um, of a journey, but I think it was probably heavily memoirish. Yeah, well, that's the, that's the thing that I'm taking away from each of your choices. Honestly, each of you have talked about and each of you are current writing or talking about having written a novel. So whether heavily fictionalized or not, I think that's really interesting that the books that stuck with you had that kernel of truth and that they were brave enough to share these things that you'd mentioned, Emma, all taboo topic, vastly Mm. different topics for each of you, but Mm. all taboo topic. And that gave you that, I guess, inspiration enough to carry with you to mention today. (laughs) So again, where I feel like we're influenced by all sorts of things, but this is why I love these conversations 
ones because I just think they start wherever they go wherever but they are so meaty thank you so much for sharing everything this week we're going to be sharing more so there may be a change up with some of the faces or some of the voices rather that you hear as we get some other writers in here too and explore and expand and learn from each other but I am so so thankful for each of you for coming here and laying yourselves a little bit bare in in effort and honor of the readers but also the writers that are going to be listening and getting their brave on for sharing as they continue their journey so thanks guys it's the highlight of my week thank you (laughs) mine too mine too thanks so much for listening to this episode of writers talking Join us next time for more Writers in Conversation as we delve into the writer's process, their passions, and a little bit about their books. Don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast player and follow us on Instagram at writers underscore talking underscore podcast.